Okay, our text is behind me there, if you could see it. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Just one verse and just a brief, we trust a brief meditation this morning will be ours from this verse. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. One of the uh, challenges, I suppose, for Bible readers is to know how to interpret what we read, right? Oftentimes, Uh, In the religious world, you'll hear about schools of interpretation. And uh, it is true. There are many liberal scholars that will interpret the Bible wrongly. However, there are verses like this one that gives the interpretation right in the verse. We can't miss it. A virgin shall bring, be with child, she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So, we understand from this verse that Emmanuel, we say, well, what is, what is, who is Emmanuel? Well, the interpretation is right here in the verse. God with us. This is done in a number of places in the scripture where interpretation is given right in the verse. Oftentimes, when we come to the last book of the Bible, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's it's filled with symbols. But more often than not, the interpretation of those symbols are given right in the same text. The seven lampstands are the seven churches and so on. Well, here we have that very same thing. And it's that that we'd like to uh, just meditate on just a little bit this morning. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, who we're referring to, of course, is Jesus. We did not read the the, the first, uh, the, the verse 21. She, that is Mary, if we were taking up, uh, breaking into a, a story here, but Mary shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, and then our verse. Now, the prophet is Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied this some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Before Jesus came into this world, this was prophesied of him. And the interpretation is God with us. And so we'd like to look at it this morning, God with us, uh, in these two ways. His, that is Jesus, his identification as God, but also want to look at his identification as man. And I want to tell you up front why this is so important. Because we live in a world that will try, as, as they might, try to lower, try to uh, make something less of the person of the Lord Jesus. And I am not talking just about 
sinners that are far from God. Not talking about a worldly system that is opposed to God. I'm talking about religious organizations as well that will seek to minimize or de-deify the person of the Lord Jesus. Who is Jesus? And really, that's, the, that's our, that what our text or the, the, the crux of our text this morning is who is Jesus? He is identified here as Emmanuel and that is being interpreted God with us. Just think about this. In the religious world, not just in the, the corrupt, sinful world that would seek to uh, uh, make something less of Jesus Christ, our Lord, but in the religious world, right? There are those, take one of the fastest growing religions in the world, Islam. They look at Jesus, right, Issa, as just a prophet, one of the many prophets that came so many years ago. And they will hold him up to that esteem in their religion. We can think of the... Uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, they have a lovely tabernacle choir, right? Thousands can fit in their auditorium and sing beautiful, lovely hymns that inspire us who know the Lord Jesus as Savior. But I tell you that they are leading many people to hell because their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Now, is that who Jesus is? God with us? No, not at all. The word of God will tell us who is Jesus. So we need to be careful. That is why it is important. Many people today, even in the religious world, are willing, willing to honor the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And that's as far as they go. They'll be religious. They'll wear the, the emblems. They'll wear the beads. They'll do all the religious uh, sacraments and so forth, but nothing doing with Jesus, the Son of God, who is Lord of all. Nothing doing with Jesus, the Almighty, the Creator, the Possessor of heaven and earth, the Upholder of all things, the true God, the High and Lofty One that we talked about this morning, the Judge of all the earth, the Most High God, the King of glory, the King of kings, the Head over all things, the chiefest among 10,000, one who is greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah, greater than the temple. The first and the last, the everlasting God. That is who Jesus is. God with us. His identification as God. Now, I want you to notice here in this verse. In verse 23, look what it says. The third line there in my Bible. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, think about that. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, first of all, you might be wondering, well, Jesus is called Jesus. He's not called Emmanuel. Why is he never called Emmanuel? Well, if we search the scriptures, we'll, we'll understand that it was more of a description, more of a title of who he is. Just the same way when Solomon was born, they called his name Jedediah, beloved of God. Solomon was never called by that name. But they called him Jedediah. When Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 41, when Joseph came up out of the, he came from the pit uh, to the prison. And now he's in the palace. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he calls him Zaphapania. Ooh, what a mouthful that is. Zaphapania. But it means deliverer, sustainer of the world. Did, was Joseph ever called? Did they ever address him as Zaphapania? No. Well, they called him that name because he would be the sustainer of the then known world. Well, here we have probably the same principle. They shall call his name Emmanuel. And notice it says they. 
Was there something that Mary and Joseph saw in their Christ child that they were able to call him Emmanuel? And the reason I say that is this. Throughout the scripture, as we search, we'll see when individuals came into the presence of this one, just like Simeon. Remember Simeon. Here was Mary and Joseph. And they come and they carry their little, their newly born child into Simeon. And the Lord had directed him by the Holy Spirit that he would not depart till he saw the Lord's Christ. And the things that he said about the baby Jesus were just stupendous. More than just an ordinary child was this. You could search Luke chapter 1 and you could see the wonderful things that, that, that Simeon would say about this little child and Mary and Joseph. You could imagine. It says they marveled at the things that were spoken of him. Later on in, in life, Nathaniel, when he saw the Lord, he said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Right. There was something about him, probably in what he said, that made them realize he is more than just a man, more than just Jesus. The man, he's got to be something more. And it says they shall call his name. You remember on the cross, right? When the Lord of glory died, it says with all the happenings round about with the darkness and the earthquake and, and, and the, the events that transpired around it, the centurion, he turned and he looked to the one that was on that center cross and he said, surely this is the son of God. And so could it be that Mary and Joseph... Now, I'm not going to indicate here, like some religions do, that there was a halo around the baby Jesus' head. I'm not saying that. But something about this one that says they shall call his name Emmanuel. Was it something that they saw in this little one? Well, she, she wondered about the things that were said of him. She pondered them in her heart. What was it that the parents saw? Remember, this was no ordinary child, Right? Now, we're not saying he didn't cry. The little Lord Jesus, you know, wept and so forth like that. Well, we know that. But he was sinless. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Was it something that they saw in him? It says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. It is so interesting and fulfilling to look throughout the Scripture as you see this one whom Philippians chapter 2, this one who was to be called Emmanuel, as he grew in, in, uh, in his life and he was presented to the public and the Apostle Paul writes of him, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was in the form of God, the high and lofty one. But he also took the form of a servant, the meek and lowly one. Now watch this. As you look into the Scripture, oftentimes you can see these two aspects coming out, the form of a servant, in the form of God, this one who was called Emmanuel. Oftentimes he manifested both the form of God and the form of a servant in his life. You see, Matthew chapter 17, when the Lord uh, calls three of his own up to this mount, and it says from the inside out he began to shine above the brightness of the sun. Here you see the form of God. He could see, all could see that were there. Who this was. This was no ordinary individual. Here he was. He shone from the inside out the glory of God. But then when he went down off that mountain, here was the form of God on the top, but the form of a servant on the bottom. They saw so man, no man save Jesus only. The form of a servant, the form of God. You see, the form of a servant, as he goes down into a ship, he's tired. He'd been ministering to the people all day, and he goes down into the bottom of the ship and he goes asleep. 
on a pillow. And all of a sudden, the, the, the storm kicks up. And it's, these are seasoned fishermen. They're, they're wondering, what are they going to do? The storm is, is here. And master, master, they go to wake him up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? And here, this form of a servant, this tired, laboring man, he rises up, you see. And he gathers the wind in his fist and he binds the waters in his garment. He rebukes the sea into a calm, the form of God. Revealed. The form of a servant sleeping underneath the boat. The form of God as he manifests his power over nature. You see the form of a servant as he's an unnoticed guest at a wedding in John chapter 2. But then he manifests forth his glory as the form of God. Mary comes to him. They have no wine. And he performs that miracle that manifests forth his glory, you see. The form of God. He shows who he really is at times. And of course, the greatest demonstration is when the high and lofty one who dwells in the heavens, who came down into this scene. You see, you and I, we, we can relate to that in a sense. When we go places that we'd rather not go because we feel that we feel that they're too that it, we're, we're too uh, important for them. We're, we're above that. We don't want to take that kind of position. We don't want to take that kind of job because that's above us. Well, think about the Lord of glory who is transcendent. He's above creation and he came down into this world. The form of a servant. We marvel that he would visit us. Just a few weeks ago, we had, uh, during the election time, we had some excitement around here, right? President Obama was right down the road here making a campaign speech at MacArthur High School. We had a, we had a visitor that many individuals flock to see, right? They want to see the President of the United States. And we marveled, didn't we? Many, here he was, right here, down the road, the President. But you see, there's a far greater visitor that came into our world. Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to say here, speaking of the President, many people in this world, perhaps many in this room, know God the way they know the president. They know of him. They don't really know him personally. But we're going to see, as we continue to look at this in just the next few minutes, how this almighty, transcendent, creator God came down into this world. He took on the form. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice how the scripture guards it. The likeness of sinful flesh. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. But he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He identified himself with us. It behooved him, says the scripture, to be made like unto the sons of men. God Almighty, like that story we heard when the man was trying to get the birds into his barn. You know, he wished he could become a bird so he could gather them into the warmth of that barn. Well, that's what God has done for us in the person of the Lord Jesus. He visited 
us, this transcendent, incomparable, awe-inspiring, miracle-working, supernatural person, God manifest in the flesh. It's interesting as we peruse the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say of our God, what God is like unto our God, the God who works wonders. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to him? Our God is in the heaven, we read in the scriptures. He he does whatever he pleases. And so we marvel as we look through the scripture at the greatness of his strength the majesty of his kingdom, the thunder of his power, the glory of his majesty, the increase of his government, the greatness of his might. Surely there's no searching of his understanding. Before we leave this point, I just want to say this. When Solomon, way back before Isaiah, when he went to build the temple of God, the house of God, He said this, and he said it before he built it and after he built it as he dedicated the temple. He said, will God indeed dwell upon earth? Behold, the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon came to the understanding like I trust each one of us here will this morning. That we wonder how the infinite could fit in the finite. How could the almighty God come and dwell in that temple that Solomon was going to make? Much less a human body. But we see it in the incarnation, don't we? That's what's so wonderful. And that's why Satan and all these false religions of the world would have us not believe what is plainly taught in the word of God. God was manifest in the flesh. The Bible says the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in our Savior. It pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Now, don't ask me to explain it, but it's there in the Scriptures. No mere man was Jesus Christ our Lord. He was the almighty, transcendent, true, and living God. Solomon caught a glimpse of that as he was making that temple. There's his identification as God. And just in the last few minutes here, his identification with man. You know, nature round about us shows us that God is above us. The law of God, God's perfect law, shows us that God is against us. But the gospel, the glorious gospel of our blessed God shows us that God is for us and God is with us. Let's look at that again. Nature. What did the psalmist say? When I consider thy heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. You know, wonder if wonder if David would have had the Hubble telescope, right? And be, be, be able to see off into these ever, ever expanding. You know what, what it says of the Lord? He stretches out the heavens. You know, I think science is just coming to that grips that, that the universe is expanding. And we realize that it's not just only billions of stars, but billions of, 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 of galaxies that are out there in our universe. Surely, you know, here, have you ever seen those little pictures, those, those, those uh, illustrations where you got, you know, here, here we are on our planet. Think about this. Here we are on a little speck of a planet. We're spinning at thousand miles an hour. You know, how, you know, if I turned around, I'd fall down. I wonder how I can stand up 
you know, on a planet that goes around at a thousand miles an hour. And going around in, in the universe, I think it's what, six times that. Can you imagine that, that this, this, this wonderful God has sustains all of this? And He's made all this. But you ever seen those little those pictures where you have the earth, you know, it's it's kind of big, you know, and then you have the sun and it's even bigger. And then you have the next smallest star, you know, that's that dwarfs the sun and it goes on and on the size of the planets and the stars that are out there. Nature shows us that God is above us. Right. Who of us could do that? Right. None of us. Right. Who can be compared with the Lord? The law shows God is against us. You know, there's a constant uh, uh, action going on in the hearts of people. Listen to this. Romans 2 talks about it. Because the Bible says the law of God is written on our hearts. Let me tell you. Adam lands anew, right? I don't care what uh, uh, the, the professionals may say. The Word of God says the law of God is written on our hearts. There's a constant accusing or else excusing one another that goes on in the heart of every individual. And one day it's going to be played back before God. When the judgment, when, when the great white throne judgment comes, every individual, the Bible says, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. That includes Lanza and any other individual that walked on the face of this earth. Right? That acts and opposes God. Right? There's this, there's this action that goes on inside. There's an accusing or else an excusing your actions. And God's going to play that back before you. When I was a little child, there was a show called This Is Your Life. You know, and they'd come and they'd show all the things that transpired in the individual's life. Oh, you know, he'd say, oh, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I remember. One day, God... It's going to play back at the great white throne judgment for all those that have re rejected Christ. <laughs> all that process that went on in their heart, accusing or else excusing one another, he's going to play it back before him. You know why? The law of God that is against us is written in our hearts. We can't deny it. We can go, we can fight against it. That's what Saul of Tarsus did, right? Before he was saved, he thought he was doing God a favor. And, and, and the Lord comes to Saul. He says, why are you kicking against the goads? He was trying. He, God, as it were, was, was, was with an ox goat or a prick trying to get his attention to bring him to himself. And you know what Saul did? He turned around and he kicked against God. There's a, there's a remarkable phrase in the Bible. that talks about those that fight against God. Can you imagine? Who would win? Well, the law shows us that God is against us. But the gospel, the glorious gospel of God that shows us how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This glorious news, this wonderful message of the gospel shows us that God is for us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to bring us to himself, and he's proved it in the person of Christ. The psalm writer said, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Doesn't matter how famous we are, how high we've climbed in the social ladder. Man is like 
a breath. His days are like a passing shadow, altogether vanity. But when we think about this, his identification with man, think about this, the wonder of the transcendent almighty creator God dwelling with man. Here's what uh, Zacharias said in Luke chapter 1. He said, the day spring from on high has visited us. Another translation says, the sunrise from on high has visited us. You know what a beautiful thing it is to go out to Hollywood Beach or wherever you are uh, to look at the wonder of that sunrise, right, as it comes up. Looks like it just rises up out of the ocean, you know, that, that mighty sun. Uh, what does the scripture says? The sun comes forth out of its chamber. The sun rising. What a beautiful sight it is. But the Bible says when God came into this world, the sunrise from on high has visited us. What a wonderful visitation that is. You know, we just marvel at this. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Israelites, the people of God then, they had God with them in a sense, right? Jehovah Shammah. That's what one of the names of Jehovah God is. Jehovah Shammah. What does it mean? The Lord is there. Wherever they went, they could see the symbol of his presence, the, the cloud the, uh, 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 by day, the, the fire by night. They could see the symbol of his presence. The Lord is in the midst of the camp. The Lord was with them. You know... <clears throat> This is a wonder that God would visit man and we could be able to see God. Have you ever wondered, noticed, or have you ever wondered what about these? There's a number of scriptures that seem to be a bit confusing when it comes to seeing God. And one of them is um, in Luke. Uh, excuse me, at the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 24, it says when the Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, when they went up, it says to this mount, they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. Now, how do you reconcile that with other verses of Scripture that says, if you look on me, no man shall look on me and live? How do you reconcile it? Remember, it says they saw the God of Israel. Well, I think one way we can do this is understand that God is revealed to mankind in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, we look at it like this. God cannot be seen. No man can see God, the Bible says. The invisible God. Oftentimes we read in the Scripture about the invisible God. You know why? Because God is spirit. One person of the Trinity is spirit. Can I see a spirit? No, I can't see a spirit. God is spirit. The Bible says the spirit brooded upon the face of the waters. Uh, they, uh, no man has seen God at any time, says the scripture. So God cannot be seen when it comes to the spirit of God. But if God is seen, man will die. No man shall look on me and live. It says later on in this book of Exodus. Who is that? God the Father. If we were to see God in all his transcendent glory, we would die. By the way, that's why when they went into the Holy of Holies, there was that veil, right? If the veil wasn't there, the minute the priest walked in, he, he would have been struck down just like that. Because he would have seen the glory of God. You cannot look on God and live. And lastly, God can be seen. He says it right here. They saw the God of Israel. Mo Moses spoke with God face to face. How was that? The Son of God. The Son of God. 
Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has revealed Himself throughout history in these pre-incarnate appearances where they saw the God of Israel. Now, for us who live in our day, we're able to look back to the Son of God as He came into this world. God became a man. And we can see Him. Now, today, of course, I don't see the Lord Jesus. And neither does any other believer in here. But we do see. What we do see is the Word of God. And God cannot lie. His Word is true. His Word is everlasting. And we take God at His Word. Now, about almost done here. In the New Testament, the people, they had in the days of Christ, they had Him bodily there. They could see the Son of God as He walked among the sons of men. And, and it says they ate and they drank with Him and so forth. Uh, and, and, and all of these things, that they were actually with Him. But what about us today? Do I see God? Do I see Jesus, the one? Do I see Emmanuel, God with us? Does any other believer? In John chapter 14, the Lord says this. God dwells with those who are his own. Here's what he says. The Lord Jesus says, If a man love me and keep my word, my father will love him, and we, father and son, will come unto him and make our dwelling place with him. Now you tell me if that isn't wonderful. For you that know the Lord Jesus as Savior, to have as you go about your daily round of life, as you go to your job, as you go to your neighborhood, as you go shopping, all these things, to have the very Son of God walking with you. To have that indwelling presence, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And be able to represent this blessed one in the lunchroom. Be able to represent this one at the, at, the, at the Christmas parties. Wherever it is, right, we can manifest forth something of the very presence of God. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we close this wonderful truth. God with us. We could see it in the past in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, and many other places. We could see it. We can look back because the Scripture tells us that. We can look back. But we can see it in the present. Right now. If you know Christ as your Savior, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the very presence of this one Emmanuel of which we've been speaking. But we also see it in the future. Behold, the last book of the Bible says, the tabernacle of God is with Men, one day, very soon, we who know the Lord Jesus are going to be in Emmanuel's land. Isn't that re remarkable? I can look as a child of God right here in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation against a world that's crumbling from the inside. Look at the great country in which we live, crumbling from the inside out. But my citizenship as a child of God is not here, <laughs> my citizenship as a child of God is in heaven, from whence also I look for the Savior, who will change this vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And God's desire is that I, and you if you know him, be with him. Listen to what the Lord Jesus prayed. I desire that they be with me, and behold my glory, that they may be with me where I am. That is the desire of this one Emmanuel that we've talked about this morning, that we're going to be with him. You ever notice, we'll close with this. It says in one of the last books, Revelation 21, it says that the city uh, came out from the presence of God. We're watching. John's watching. Remember the visions. He's watching. As a bride adorned for her husband. A bride? A city? 
And you look back, and you see the saints are described as the bride. In, in Revelation chapter 19, the saints, you and me, if you know Christ as Savior, the bride of Christ, but the city is the bride of Christ. Well, I try to put those two together. And I say, well, if now we are living stones built, if you know Christ as Savior, living stones to be built up this glorious house, that the very abode of God, the church, which is the living God. If we can be called living stones now, what about then this beautiful city? You know, we get taken up with the beauty of the jewels and the gold streets and all of that. But what is it when the bride comes down out of heaven from God? You see, it's those that know Christ as Savior and God himself shall be with them. What a blessed future we have if we know Christ as Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. He can be your Savior if he's not already. He wants to dwell in you. Oh, what a privilege to go about your daily round of life and to know that Christ in you, the hope of glory. No longer I, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth with me, in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so may this truth of Emmanuel, God with us, stick with us, impress us, not lose the wonder of it. That God became a man and dwelt amongst us. But yet, wonder of wonders, he wants to dwell with us individually. <laughs> How can it be? I'm a sinner. I'm distant from God. I'm far from God. But blessed be God, he bore my sin. He took the punishment, the penalty that was due me. He took my sin and my sorrow. He made it his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. Emmanuel, God with us, is my Savior. Is he yours? He came to dwell among the sons of men. Does he dwell in your heart by faith this morning, we ask as we close. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful <clears throat> for the blessed Son of God. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, the wonder of the incarnation. God manifest in the flesh. We'll never get over it. As we peruse the scriptures and we see the wonders of almighty God. We, we just can hardly take it in. That he came in the fullness of time to be born of a woman. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. We marvel this morning, O God. But we thank you that we know that he became man for a purpose. He who was in the form of God took on the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh God, we thank you this morning that he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. And we do ask if there's one here amongst us that has never yet bowed the knee, never yet opened their heart to the Lord Jesus, that it might be this morning that they will understand they are sinners in need of the Savior, the only Savior of sinners, Emmanuel, God with us. And for we who know the Lord, that we may go about our lives differently as we realize that Emmanuel dwells with us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. May we live differently. May we think differently. May we speak differently as we go out into this crooked and wicked world in which we live. May we make a difference. 
wherever we go. We pray. We thank you for this wonderful truth. Bless the truth to our hearts and may it be seen in action in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.